Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Costa Michalidis about creativity, innovation, and overcoming creativity blocks. Costa Michalidis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, John. How's it going? It is going well. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your busy day to share your insights with me and my audience. You're joining us from Florida. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about creativity, innovation, and how to overcome creativity blocks so that we can have more consistent levels of innovation and creativity and just have an environment and a culture of innovation within our teams, within our organizations. I think every leader wants this. I think very few know how to do it. And so I think this will be a fantastic conversation. I think it will be very um, applicable to everyone listening today. As we get started, I wanted to share Costa's bio with everybody. Costa began life as a creative misfit, using his imagination to spur havoc, laughter, and the occasional unattended unintended success. Come to think of it, he hasn't changed much over the years. Some of his recent adventures include working with NASA scientists to reimagine the search for life beyond Earth, designing innovation tournaments inside of Fortune 500 companies to send innovation projects, speaking at the United Nations in New York as part of the first TEDx event there, working with a group of cybersecurity experts, and so on and so forth. Just so many super cool things. And even in the pre-interview, as we were just having a nice chat and getting to know each other a little bit, uh, you shared about efforts and, and things you're doing around free diving, competitive free diving, uh, which I just think is super cool. You are a renaissance man doing many really cool things. Thank you so much for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with me or my audience before we jump on into the topic for today? Thanks for having me, John. I think... Um... I am really fortunate to have found uh, work in my life that uh, uh, is in tune with my uh, character, personality. Uh, I don't know what to call it, but I feel really fulfilled in what I do. And it boils down to helping people use creativity to solve problems that they care about at the end of the day. So that's kind of what makes me get up in the morning on Monday and look forward to my week. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And it's it's super interesting to me as as we start this conversation, I, I like to think a lot about 
quote-unquote artistic types uh, who who stereotypically I think as creative people, right? And when I think of someone who's creative, I typically think of a musician or an artist or, you know, those types of people, those types of characteristics. But when you really step back for a moment and really think about what it means to be creative and who is creative and what are the elements of creativity, I think it's far more inclusive than that. And I think all of us, are creative beings. And in fact, it seems like most of us were far more creative when we were younger and it was kind of drummed out of us as we conform to social norms and, and within systems and structures. And so it, it seems like perhaps we need to relearn the creativity that we knew, you know, as children, uh, as we, as we knew how to play and, and those sorts of things. So what, what do you think about that? I know you do a lot of work in the space. Uh, what does the research say about creativity and can it be learned? And if so, how do we learn or relearn creativity and apply that in our lives? Yeah, it's a balance like most things in life. So, um, and you're absolutely right. Creativity is kind of beaten out of us uh, typically for most people. Um, it's just not rewarded or recognized. You go to school, uh, most schools are concerned with um, discipline, critical thinking, um, the, the skills that were really important for work about 80 years ago. Um, so that with, with that much of a focus on finding the right answer, um, there's not, not a lot of room for creativity. Sadly, the arts get cut. Um, the arts are a wonderful way to, to, uh, cultivate creativity, creativity and art are different. So, uh, let's say you're an engineer, you have to think incredibly creatively to be a great engineer. And engineering, sometimes we think of as the furthest thing from art. And it's like, well, actually, these things are quite related. Um, so uh, a, a decent way to think about it is there's a part of your mind, um, and, and, and creativity is a superset of a lot of individual skills. So there's a part of your mind dedicated to creativity, or there's a mode that your mind operates in uh, when you are thinking creatively that is generative. Um, it is generating lots of potential ideas to solutions for a problem. It's generating lots of ideas for what the characters in a book might be like or what adventures they might go on. That's the generative part of your thinking. Um, and that's creativity. And you can use your imagination. You can enumerate. You can copy, paste, and adapt things. There's lots of individual skills for how people do creativity. Um, but when your mind is in that creative mode, it is generating possibilities. Um, this is also, this isn't just ideas and solution oriented. This can be about the question. So when you're trying to figure out how to get to the root cause of something, so you have a, a predicament. My, my kids have really poor habits. They're, they're not, you know, responsible enough. They don't eat healthy. They, you know, I want to teach my kids healthy habits, but what's the root cause of this? And so in the exploration of finding the root cause, there will be a, a sort of correct answer or, or a most important factor but you're probably going to have to think about all the different possibilities. And so your creativity is engaged here, not in generating ideas for solutions, but engaged in identifying potentials for what might be causing the problem in the first place. So this generative mode that our mind goes in, it's useful for clarification. It's useful for identifying ideas for solutions. It's useful for making pivots later on in the process. You're, you're sort of constantly relying on your mind's ability to generate possibilities as you go through a problem-solving process. And then there's the other half of your mind, which is uh, we can call critical thinking. And this is about, okay, that's the universe of possibilities. Which ones are the most likely? You know, Which ones should I pay attention to, select, focus on? 
Um, and so those two sort of halves in your mind, when they both work well, um, you can build a bridge. You can invent a new product and bring it to market. The end, bring it to market part, right? You can imagine a new product, sit in a laboratory, build it all day. If nobody wants to buy it, it's not that useful. So that critical thinking piece, uh, the reality piece, super important. So those are the sort of two halves. And I do think you're right. that They kind of get beaten out of us as we grow up. So there's a lot of relearning that we have to do. Everyone is innately creative. It's, it's half of you. Um, and so when we do training programs, a lot of what we're doing is really just tugging at the strings, like inspiring the creativity that's already there. And then perhaps if we're going on to sort of, uh, you know, mastery, you know, high level sort of innovation, yeah. we might be sharpening some of those skills, offering more tangible uh, pieces of training material. Yeah. And I really like how you articulated various components of creativity, different modes of creativity, because it's not just, I think, the stereotypical things that most people think of. Like you said, being an artist and being creative aren't there it may be a Venn diagram, maybe there's a lot of overlap mm -hmm. there, but but it's it's not the same thing, right? And there are lots of ways to be creative. And even like you were just saying, what I was hearing is just the ability to generate the right questions in in your mind as you're um dealing with issues. How many people are really capable of asking the right fundamental questions to dig below the surface and really get the root causes of the challenges that we face? Uh, it's been my experience. That's a, a quite the skill set that very few people actually have. And so, but that's, that's creative. That's, that's um, something that's going to drive innovation. And so I think getting outside of the stereotypes about creativity, I think is part of what's necessary. So we can all see ourselves again as a creative creature. You know, I, I like music. Uh, I like, I like art. I'm not particularly good at either of those things. I like sports. I'm not particularly good at sports, but I, I do them and I have fun with them. You know, I play the guitar a little bit. I, I sing and, and, uh, you know, these various things. And, and just because I'm not like someone that you're going to go pay to see, you know, perform in concert, that doesn't mean I'm not being creative when I do those things or, or when I'm consulting and working with an organization to try to help them diagnose, problems and try to help uh, implement, um, you know, interventions, change interventions and such that requires a, a tremendous deal of creativity. And so as long as we can see ourselves as creative beings and recognize there's a whole range of ways that that manifests, uh, then I think we can lean into learning the skills, the competencies and capabilities related to creativity. And be because I do think we can relearn those and develop those over time, just like they were kind of beaten out of us. We can relearn them and we can foster that kind of an environment within ourselves, within our teams, so that we can thrive and have innovation. Um, and, and you used the word innovation just a minute ago. And I'm wondering how you, like, what's the difference between creativity and innovation in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go through some definitions. Um, before we jump there, there are times when I'm in a room full of people, whether it's a training session or a group of scientists, and I will sort of pull the room at the beginning and ask how many people here identify themselves as creative. Go ahead and raise your hand. And I will get you know less than half, 20%, something like that. Um, and then I ask again at the end and a whole lot more hands go up. And it's because, you know, it's not because in this short training session, we have made them more creative at the core. It's like, no, we've sharpened some skills. We've done a little bit of work. 
Um, the real heavy lifting is the repetitions over time, developing the habits that happens over a long period of time. Um, and that's training. What we did is we just woke up what was already there. And so the, the self-identity, like thinking of yourself as creative um, is something that was automatic when you were a child, um, it gets buried and then you kind of got to lift up. And that's a lot of people. Um, so let's go through definitions. Innovation is a word we use to describe something that is new and useful. If it has one of those elements, but not the other, we don't use this word. So if something's just new, but not valuable or useful to anybody, it's just a novelty. Um, if it's valuable, but there's nothing new about it, we might call it valuable. It might be essential. It might be critical, crucial. We use other words. When you get both of these elements, new and useful, we call that innovation. Um, if it's brand new, nothing like this has been done before, you could call it invention. That might be the older word. Uh, same root, same idea. Um, so that's innovation, the noun. It's also a verb. So to innovate is creating new and useful outcomes, products, processes, books, music, whatever the thing is. Um, as a way of an example, uh, we all accept that an iPhone is more innovative than a ham sandwich. Ham sandwich could be good, tasty, actually it's not innovative, right? Unless you had 3D printed ham sandwiches that we fed to astronauts. Well, now you have something that's new, like we don't have those now, that would be new. And you have something that's useful, like, hey, astronauts get food that's not, you know, freeze dried. Cool. Um, so or the, the, the Star Trek replicator ham sandwich, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be new and useful. We would call that innovative. Um, and then, of course, the verb. So the verb to innovate is to create these new and useful outcomes. And we, we talk about innovation processes. Um, so you can think of agile, design thinking, creative problem solving. There's a variety of different sort of methodologies that gets us around. Even the scientific method, um, you could probably categorize as an innovation process. It is meant to produce new and useful discoveries, um, potentially just new discoveries. Useful with science tends to come decades later, which is awesome um, when you really get to do basic science that way. So that's, that's innovation. Uh, creativity is an individual human capacity. Um, sometimes we do it socially, like we do it with others, but fundamentally creativity is the individual capacity to do, to do that generative thinking, to use your imagination, to enumerate possibilities, um, to think about new questions, new ways of looking at things, to generate ideas, um, new and interesting ideas. That generative part of your mind, we talk about that as creativity um, and its expression sometimes is innovation. And so when individual humans get involved in, a, in an innovation process together, they use their creativity to solve an important problem. What results from it is an innovation. That's sort of where these two things play together. You can't have innovation without creativity. Um, there's no way to, to bring yeah. newness into the process. Um, and if you had sort of naked bare creativity without any uh, thought as to where it might be valuable, um, you wouldn't necessarily have the the sort of the the value add, the, sort of the business impact uh, of that creativity. So that's where those two things come together. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. And they, they usually very often go hand in hand, um, but they are slightly different. And I think it's important to to be able to keep that straight in our minds um, because they get used interchangeably a lot. And and if as a leader, I want to foster an innovation culture or an, a, an environment of innovation and creativity in my team, uh, I need to be clear on what that actually means so that I can actually put steps in place 
um, policies, practices, procedures, culture, you know, all of those things in place to support what I'm actually trying to do. Uh, and so often I'll go into organizations and I'll have this conversation and pretty much everyone says, yes, we want to be innovative, but very few actually have the system set up and an environment set up in such a way that they're promoting innovation. Uh, yeah. And in fact, oftentimes they're, they're actively undermining innovation uh, perhaps unintentionally, uh, perhaps as an unintended consequence, uh, yeah. you know, related to some policy or something, but most of the time they're actively undermining their, their desire, their, their, uh, intentionality towards innovation. Um, so how Absolutely. do we, how do we get past that? So, so the heavy, the heavy consulting here and, and reel me back if I go too deep into the weeds is, um, under communication is usually the, usually the problem, um, Part of communication is defining. Um, what we invite organizations to do when we work with them is define innovation for yourself. Um, have the conversation about semantics. Do the defining process in your organization. What does innovation mean here? And what would it mean to you if you could be innovative? So that's the sort of mode, uh, motivation or purpose piece of the equation. Um, the, the approach we take is a storytelling approach. So we'll typically go into an organization and invite them to ask for stories about where creativity is being used in the organization. So bring us stories about creativity or creative problem solving. Where are people using creativity? Where are they using it to solve problems? Both of the one is slightly more general than the other. They're both useful questions. The stories that come back, we then look at them and we ask questions about, okay, what purpose is driving people's creative problem solving. Here we're using creative problem solving as like really tiny innovations. Anytime you're sort of using creativity to solve a problem, you're doing really little innovations, which is great. Or big ones. They, a, you know, building a new kind of rocket is also creative problem solving. It's just scaled up at that point. Everybody recognizes it as innovation. We're looking for the like really tiny evidence. Not necessarily everyone would recognize that as innovation, but anyone can recognize it as creativity being used to solve a problem. So we ask for those stories come back and then we say, okay, well, what purpose is typically driving people? Which people are doing the creative problem solving, which people aren't, which people are doing it at which times you could really dig into the people piece. We ask about process, what process, how long does it take? Do they do it quickly? Do they do it on the fly? Um, is this something going on in the background? Is there a, some idea stealing going on? Is that good idea stealing, bad idea stealing, et cetera. So Purpose, people, process. Ask about the environment. In which environments are people feeling safe to be creative um, or willing to be creative? Uh, in which environments do they struggle to use their creativity? In meetings with lots of people? Is it easier in small groups? Is it easier at the water cooler? Is it easier in a meeting with your boss? These are, I mean, you can, you can imagine typical answers to these questions. Um, sometimes you get atypical answers. Um, and then the last is the product. So, okay, you're using creativity to solve problems. Which problems? What product, what's the outcome of this? What product is being produced and so forth? So we look across those dimensions and what we see is there is already a culture of innovation. There's already one there. Um, people are already using creativity to solve problems in small ways here and there, or in big ways. Like if you go into an organization with established innovation processes, the stories should reflect the policies and procedures that are in place. If they don't, then you have disconnects. Um, so what we do is we don't typically try to come in and say, this is what the research shows is an innovative organizational culture. You should change your culture into this. So, huh, no, that's a horrible idea. Uh, you should go and learn how the culture is already being innovative. 
and understand where the leverage points are and see if you can grow from there. Um, so far more gentle, smaller investment, better outcomes, more reliable outcomes. Um, and we call that story mining. Um, so go, go and mine for stories uh, as a starting point. Yeah, I love it. I, I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely the right approach. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could describe for us one of the most interesting innovation projects you've ever worked on, whether that's working on, with a client to try to help them ramp up innovation and, and that innovative culture and the mechanisms for innovation or something else. But yeah, share with us uh, some really cool innovation project that you worked on. Yeah, so probably the most exciting for me was uh, reimagining the search for life beyond Earth. Um, so this was a project we did with uh, NASA through our sister company, which is called No Innovation, K-N-O-W Innovation. It works better written down. Uh, so we ran a project with the astrobiology directorate at NASA, and they had a bunch of invited scientists. Um, we've done a number of events on this. So we did the 10-year roadmap, and then later on, we did other conferences Um, So a variety of interesting pieces of work has come out of this, but the premise is as follows. When we look for like life beyond earth, we typically look for, we used to look for um, oxygen in the atmosphere of a planet far away, liquid water on the surface, certain distance from the star so that it has a certain heat profile. And we're basically looking for planets that look like planet earth. Um, We're looking for life that looks like us. And then, of course, the question enters the room, which is, what if most of the life out there, if it's there, it has, it's nothing like us, is completely different? Uh, how would we find it? And so just purely philosophically crazy and difficult, but there are, you know, a, a few million dollars or actually, I don't know what the total budget is for astrobiology, but there are, there are large sums of money directed at answering these questions. And if we did find, for example... Um, extinct bacteria on Mars or really tiny life that wasn't based on cells. It, 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 it looked and acted differently. If we find life like that in the, you know, in the dusty surface of Mars or somewhere else, that would have huge learnings and implications for biology here on earth. It would impact our lives in a positive way. It would take a long time for those discoveries to feed into our actual product and products and services, our understandings of human health and so forth. So it would take time. The shift in approach that happened over the course of this event was from looking at these sort of typical signs to looking at emergent features of life and then looking at bundles of those features and saying, okay, um, and really hard to do when you only have one example to go with, but if life could be many things, what might its emergent features be? And then can we look for those emergent features and figure out where there's a threshold. Like if we were to scoop up a chunk of dirt uh, on an exoplanet or scoop up some ice off Europa, which is a frozen moon uh, around Jupiter, and we were to look inside that, what kind of chemistry could we look for that would have uh, signs of life that wasn't necessarily like us? So this was the the reimagining. Um, So philosophically fascinating, uh, really cool work. Um, I hope sometime in this century, we get to actually see uh, if something, uh, if there are some bugs on some bodies in our solar system, it would be really, really cool to find that. I'm not hoping for little green men. That's a whole other universe of uh, of madness. (laughs) Well, that is, that is so cool. 
-hmm. And it's just challenging the fundamental assumptions of everything that they were already doing, right? And and taking a step back and and asking yourself, well, what if these these things that we've assumed that all life is based on don't actually apply to all life? (laughs) Um, So so our job in that room was to basically keep asking the else question. What else might it look like? How else might it work? What else? How else? Why else? What else? How else? Why else? We just, I mean, it got nauseating after a little while, but we kept shifting their perspective and shifting their perspective and shifting their perspective and introducing variety in in the breadth of what they were considering. Um, that was one one thrust. There were a few other sort of priorities in the room, two-day conference, um, yeah. lots of fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm wondering, I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in a few minutes, but uh, mm-hmm. as we're getting close to wrapping up, perhaps what's what's one thing you could suggest to me and my audience that we could start doing to overcome creativity blocks and just be a little bit more innovative every day? Yeah, certainly. So the the biggest recommendation I make for people doing this is come up with lots of ideas. Um, So when you're in a situation where you need creativity and imagination to do something, so if there's a known solution and there's an expert to hire, great, fantastic. No need to waste, you know, time and effort. This is the known solution. Go do it. No problem with that. If you're living outside of that, if you're in a situation that's too individualistic and unique, um, brand new, um, you're trying to teach your kids healthy habits, not the prototypical child that's written up in this blog post here that didn't work at all, right? You've already hired the expert that failed. Whatever the situation is, if you need creativity, if you need ideas for solutions, if you're trying to come up with ideas for a new product at your business or ways to grow your small business or whatever the challenge is, come up with lots of ideas, lots. I mean, like a hundred or more. And the idea here is that you want to set a really high target um, this works in generating really good ideas. The literature, the psychology literature demonstrates it. We've sort of run the experiments casually in our rooms with scientists. It works there. We've done it with businesses. It works there. And what it feels like is really cool. So you generate your first few ideas and that's what you typically do. And so that feels normal. And then you sort of experience this lull. You're like, ah, oh, no, there's no more ideas. Not true. There are infinitely more ideas at the other end of this lull. So you'll experience a lull. Then you'll come up out of it and you'll have another batch of ideas. And these will be slightly more novel. Your brain now is needing to reach to more interesting places to make these. Um, And then you might experience a second lull and you come out of that and you get even more originality. So the reason coming up with lots of ideas works to help innovation along is because if you just generate five, that's all you have to work with. If you generate 50, just statistically, you could have more good ideas in there. In addition, As you generate more, you force your brain to go to more novel places. You get a higher concentration of novelty. The chances that there's a good idea goes up as you go on. This is the compound interest piece. Um, And then lastly, as you practice this skill over many iterations, months, years, et cetera, you get better at it. You get more novelty sooner in your your idea generation processes. Um, So... Some of the tips and tricks are defer your judgment. Don't judge the ideas as you have them. Just yeah. make a nice big pile. Worry about judgment later. Um, you can force a connection. You can build on your ideas. So if you're looking to come up with more ideas, you can build on a specific idea, extend it, change it, subtract something, et cetera. If you're looking to go in a totally new direction, you can force a connection to something random. How would Will Smith solve this problem? How would Winnie the Pooh solve this problem? Okay, cool. Now you're on a new branch. You can build on ideas over there and generate more ideas in that direction. 
Um, make it fun. Humor is uh, demonstrates higher levels of idea generation. There's a whole lot more. Um, so, so that's the sneak peek. Yeah. Awesome. Costa, this has just been a fantastic conversation. You've got me thinking about a lot of things. Uh, so I'm excited to just explore this more. Uh, before we wrap up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Um, innovationbound.com slash 101 is the Innovation 101 course that we have that's broadly available. Um, it is currently in development. It is discounted, so early bird special at the moment. Price will go up as the course gets work done and comes to completion. Um, and then just email me. I know it's a podcast. Feels weird to email a guest, but yeah, just reach out to me. Uh, Costa at innovationbound.com. Would love to connect with anybody who's interested in this stuff. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Costa and his team can do for you. Check out that course. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.